The Antidote is joined by Jimmy Cravity. It's really great to have you here, Jimmy. Uh, thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me on. I'm super excited to be a part of the segment and happy to share. I'd like to take you back because I want to hear about your earliest music memory. What comes to mind? Earliest music memory, I would say elementary school. Uh, I was a part of a chorus uh, in elementary school. I think it was third or fourth grade. I just remember the sound of the piano and the sound of voices singing together. And it just was so beautiful. That was my earliest music memory. We moved ahead a little bit more. I heard the sound of electric guitar. I was in seventh grade. I was playing the cello in the Lindley Middle School Orchestra. And I asked my mom if, you know, if I get all A's in seventh grade, will you buy me a uh, electric guitar? She bought me the electric guitar after I got all A's and I was kind of off to the races <laughs> since then. So yeah, from a teenager, I started getting into songwriting and getting into uh, guitar and just had a foundation for music based on playing the cello that kind of has stayed with me throughout. It sounds like music has always been important to you. Yes. Yes, it has. It's, it's been important to me, and it's always been important to my family. My uh, granddad, uh, he has a doctorate of theology and is a uh, reverend and served as a pastor. And um, even in the 60s, 70s, he was recording his own music, uh, Zion Hill Records. And uh, he wrote his songs and recorded it back in, in an age where there was no logic or Pro Tools or any of those types of things. But I think it was intrinsic. My mom sang in a choir at his church, and it was one of those things where, yeah, it's always stuck. Now, I'd read that your career began with you writing for people like Ludacris and Usher. I mean, those two are a big deal. How did you manage to be able to do that? Yeah, so, Dave, I've always believed in the power of music to express and unite and bring people together. And so um, I was in college studying political science, and I decided, you know, I don't want to be an attorney. So, you know what, I'm going to take a break from this, and I am going to pursue music professionally. I started going to the studio every day writing songs. Next thing you know, Akon like a global superstar his brother who's like the manager of Kanye West now uh he came to the studio and he heard my songs and he said what will it take for us to work together I want to be your publisher I want to get your songs out there we struck up a publishing deal it was my first publishing deal and through that deal um that was around the time where I got that placement uh my manager at the time uh was A&Ring Ludacris's album and I uh, sent him this song called Not Long. Ludacris heard it and said, uh, it has to go on the album. In a matter of a day or two, it was confirmed. It's going on his album, recorded it. And it was a beautiful studio session. I'm in Atlanta right now. We, we actually worked at this place called Silent Sound. Uh, for people that's in the music industry, um, Usher was there, Ludacris was there, and Usher told me something I'll never forget. He said, you know, Jimmy, if, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. What a great thought, great idea. So we got to work together on the song, and it came out, and it was, a, it was a success in itself. You know, that does make me curious. I mean, being an artist and then writing for someone else, 
Does it ever feel like you're giving away a piece of yourself? No. It doesn't feel like I'm giving away a piece of myself in a negative way, but uh, more in a positive way. It's like I feel that even when you perform, when you play, when you write songs, you're giving a piece of creation. Uh, you know, I believe what fuels my creativity is this thought that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead empowers me, lives in me. And, you know, when we study the scriptures and we see one of the first things God did was create, and we're made in his image. So it's our mandate, it's our creed, it's our privilege, it's our opportunity to create. And so every time I create, I feel like, wow, what a privilege to be able to take something, a blank canvas, and then you have a song, you know. That's just so empowering to me in and of itself that it doesn't ever feel like, oh man, you know, I gave something away of myself um, that I kind of wanted to keep. The goal for me is to get it out there. So was it something like that that had you changed into deciding to make music for yourself? No, I feel that I am gifted in several ways, and I've always wanted to make music for myself. I've always seen that. What really speaks to me is rock and roll. So I can write a lot of different types of songs, like the song with Ludacris and Usher was a hip-hop song, and I've collaborated with other hip-hop artists and that type of thing, Swoop, Tadashi, and some others. But what calls to me is rock music. And so I've, I grew up playing guitar and loved Eric Clapton, loved Ray Charles. They kind of inspired me. So I always wanted to make my own albums, you know, but I also feel that I love writing songs. So I love to write songs for other projects, for TV shows, for artists, and just have catalog, you know, a roster of songs. So we're talking about your music. Now, I'd read that your first release was a self-titled EP, but that was impossible to find online. So I guess we'll have to settle for the follow-up, the 2012 Maverick EP. You already mentioned about writing for television. Well, (laughs) it ties into one song, because you wrote the song 90210. So, I don't know, does that make you an old TV show geek? (laughs) Not so much. Uh, I'm not a huge TV geek. Uh, Right now, I watch probably more TV than I have when I was growing up and writing songs. Uh, 90210 was a song that inspired me. I went to a Super Bowl party in 90210 in the hills. We were pretty far up and you could see the whole city. And uh, that song was inspired by that view. I I was in L.A. working with a friend of mine. His name is Brian Kennedy, Grammy Award winning, several million albums sold. He did Forever by Chris Brown, Disturbia by Rihanna. He's done some work with Kelly Clarkson, Rascal Flatts. And at that time, we were working on this song together, 90210. And I told him, hey, man, I have this guitar riff and I have this idea for a song that I want to make. And we got in the studio and it came to life. Well, that's awesome. Well, I think you've already touched on this a little bit, is that you have such a wide range of styles. And I always enjoy artists who don't fit into a box. The thing is with you is that even though the styles change, the message is consistently about faith. So who are you focusing your music towards? That's a great question, Dave. Um, 
there are several avenues of music that I have that some people know about, some people don't, just based on being a songwriter and a producer as well. I feel that I am focusing my music on, it depends on the project, really. The first self-titled EP uh, was a pop rock alternative EP, and it was focused toward the world. So was Maverick. Uh, just songs about my life experience, what I'm hoping for, dreaming for, those types of things. Stepping Forward to Heaven, it was a song explicitly about my faith in Jesus. It was unapologetically Jesus Christ. And this next project that I'm planning to put out, Poetry, is geared toward the same. So I'm, I'm focusing my music on those that are early adopters, those that think outside of the box, those that are on the fringes, I guess. I feel that my music is very different from kind of the mainstream or it has a different tone, it has a different flavor, a uh, different profile. And so I'm focusing my music on those people that are in that place in life, personality-wise, an eclectic group of people. But I feel like it's very approachable from all people. No matter where you are in terms of faith or, or where you are in terms of age, demographic, I feel like the music is very approachable. Well, let me bring up a song that came up on the Heaven EP. Surrender seemed to be the song that made the biggest impact from that release. Is that because it is so relatable for a Christian? Yeah, uh, I do feel like Surrender is a prayer. You know, it's one of those prayers, so it connects with people that already have faith. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, from the Heaven EP, I would say that Believe uh, had the most impact. It, it has the most streams. It probably reached the most amount of people. It went top five on the Hot AC radio chart. So I would say Believe was the one. Um, but I felt like what we wanted to do was create a song where you felt happiness, you felt joy. And I feel like that was the key. That was the antidote. That was the kryptonite, you know, that helped that song connect with so many different people. You spoke about having the song being popular on some of the major Christian radio networks. Have you ever considered dropping out of the Christian music scene and going mainstream? I mean, that could potentially give you a bigger fan base. Uh you know what, Dave? I actually have, and um, historically, I've been connected with mainstream as a creative in general. For me, my my introduction to the music industry wasn't in the Christian music market space. And I do feel like that my songs could connect on a wider level uh, going mainstream. And so I have been thinking about that. That's something, if I'm totally opening my... Uh, hard to you. It's one of those things where I think it would suit the music a little bit better. I've been thinking about Coldplay has a song, you know, just because I'm losing doesn't mean I'm lost. Uh, you might be a big fish in a little pond, you know, that doesn't mean that you won. And so when I think about markets, I think about, do you want to be a big fish in a little pond or do you want to be a small fish in the ocean? You know, I still think uh, in terms of relativity, being a small fish in the ocean is probably a lot bigger than being a big fish in a small pond. That's the sad truth, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Honestly, 
for me, it's one of those things that I've always seen as the trajectory of my career. It's just a matter of time. You think about Otis Redding, you think about Sam Cooke, you think about Whitney Houston, you think about Ray Charles, you think about all of these soul singers that started off making music just for the church, but the trajectory of their careers did not lend itself only to that. Aretha Franklin, even. I saw her documentary. You know, she did one of the best-selling gospel albums of all time, and she did it as a pop superstar. I am so excited about the potential. For me, it's like, take a song like Believe or Poetry. That song could easily exist outside of the Christian music market space. I could hear that on Top 40 radio. I could hear it in mainstream. You know, there was another song from the Heaven EP that you have to help me out with. Prada, The Luxury of Suffering. I don't get it. Like, how can suffering ever be considered a luxury? Thank you for asking this, Dave. You really listened and, and you've done your homework. When we were making the Heaven EP, I made this batch of music. Uh, when we made this song, for me, I have always thought that based on the scriptures, suffering is a luxury. Uh, you know, the Bible says that all who desire a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It also says, count it all joy, brother, when you face trials of many kind. It's been given to you. I heard a sermon by John Piper that said, it's been given to you. It's a gift to suffer. And we don't think about that, but everyone experiences a certain amount of suffering on the road to greatness. I feel that that suffering is a luxury, even in the most grueling times, because it produces in you what you need to go on, what you need to succeed. And so I have been thinking about the luxury of suffering, specifically in that song, the lyrics. I'm writing from the Apostle Paul's perspective. The Apostle Paul, who was in chains, beaten unjustly, you know, just take one story out of the book of Acts. He rebukes a woman of an evil spirit that's been tormenting him. And this woman is causing profit for other men in the town. And they don't like that their profit just shriveled up based on an evil spirit departing a woman. Mm -hmm. He's thrown in jail unjustly. In jail, he does not cower. He does not let his circumstances overcome his faith, but his faith overcomes his circumstances. In the midst of jail, at midnight, he's singing praise to God. And they're in the jail. An earthquake happens. All of the chains are broken. But Paul, seeing his suffering not as something to be dreaded, but uh, to me, it was the Apostle Paul that brought up this idea to me that suffering is a luxury. Uh, we think about nice cars, a lot of money, think about all of those things as luxuries and they are but if you get deeper into it you know the meaning of life you get deeper into faith you get deeper into what it means to suffer what it means to be a follower of christ you understand that suffering is a luxury because there's a greater story something i wonder about you is that every photo i see of you you have some kind of a hat on so now it's leaving me wondering, are you trying to compensate for lack of hair? No. <laughs> <laughs>
No, I've not tried to compensate for lack of hair. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, one of the greatest rap groups of all time out of Atlanta, Georgia. It's Outkast. And what I love about Outkast is the freedom of their expression as it relates to fashion. And that's something that has always connected with me. I've always felt completely free to express myself in a way that feels empowering and, and free to who I am. So I want to express that. I love hats. Actually, three years ago, I became a hat maker. And I have my own hat studio where I can make hats. I also have my own fashion line. Um, it's called Moses in Britain. And uh, I've done a collection of hats and sold out of a collection of hats. I've actually had some of the hats that I've made on the cover of magazines and that type of thing. So I love fashion, and it's just a small part of some of my interests. So I love wearing hats, all different types of hats as well. So that's just something I've always been into, even since I was a kid. <laughs> okay, I am going to get serious. The chorus from the single Ultraviolet says, For a world divided, my heart's bleed violet. It's ultraviolet. So that does open up the big question. Will the world ever become united? That's a great question. Um, I think we could become united. I'm an optimist. I am always thinking about the positive. I'm always thinking about the possibility. In many ways, we are already united in terms of technology. We're united in our use of technology. Maybe not always in paradigms. Um, there's just different cultures. There's different tastes. There's different priorities as it relates to those things. But I do think that there could be a baseline as it relates to the church, even if you think about the church. Um, there's two ways that I think the world could become united. One's about the church and one's about the greater world, whether they're part of the church or not. The church is based on Jesus Christ. And there are some things that people believe in that feel periphery, that aren't central. But if your faith and your hope is in Jesus Christ, I think that Jesus is a great uniter. I mm -hmm. see him uniting people. I see him uniting those things. I just recently became a pastor at a church in Sacramento called uh, Capital Christian Center. The church owns a school and there's also staff. We've been doing uh, these events at our church just for the staff teachers and the people that work for the church. It's called One, and the focus of it is unity, harmony. Now, there's many churches represented because not everybody at the school goes to Capitol, but everyone has that baseline of Christ. And if Christ becomes the baseline, I think some of the other preferences, those things can start to fade and we can be united. As it relates to people zooming out, to people, whether you have faith or not, I think one way that we could be united is in lifting the floor of globally, lifting the floor of poverty. I think within my lifetime, we could see uh, the floor of poverty rise to where everyone is making a certain amount of money. Everyone has shelter. Everyone has running water. Everyone has food. You know, as a society, we have more than enough resources to feed everyone in the world. But we're more focused on making a profit. We're more focused on making a dollar. 
And so we feed livestock more than we feed humans as a society. And I think it's one of those areas that we can make a serious improvement. And it's my goal in the coming years to speak into that, to help make that a reality. Uh, Living in California, there are people that are living on the street, living in tents. And I think to myself, there's also buildings that are vacant, thousands and thousands of square feet that are vacant. We can start to optimize our surplus and we can become united around that idea. You did touch on one of your latest songs, Poetry, and that's the Jimmy Cravity song that's grabbed me the most. It has this country rock vibe. I know you've mentioned about your diverse styles, but that's really even out of character from any of the rest of your songs. Yeah, I would say um, if you go back to the early days, uh, like the Maverick EP, you could see the growth as an artist. For me, poetry is Mumford and Sons, you know, it's country, it's Americana, it's acoustic guitar. And that's actually the percussion in that song is actually me tapping on a table. And uh, we took a kick and put it in there and just basically a few elements of music. But I love that style. That style of music speaks to me, the growth, the beauty of rock music, country music, all of that speaks to me. And that's the one that could be the big winner for you right across the board, both in the Christian and the mainstream. I agree. I agree. So far right now, you know, we released that song in late July, and it's already over a million streams in less than six months. So people are connecting with it. And I agree, Dave. I do think that song could connect with people that are inside and outside of you know, the Christian space, it could be that mainstream crossover record. Yeah. I want to bring up something else from poetry. Sure. I really go for one of the lines from poetry. If love wasn't broken, then why did you have to try? Now you're dying to fix it, staring down those ready eyes. How many people have you met who've done that or felt that way? I think that's the human dilemma. That's the human experience. You know, the lyric, yeah. Uh, If love wasn't broken, why'd you have to try? Now you're dying to fix it, staring down those teary eyes. You know, it's one of those things where I think about that's the gospel. That's the human experience. You think back to the Garden of Eden, where it was euphoria, where it was bliss. Love wasn't broken then. And then it became broken, and then it became this sense of heartache and toil where there was only joy there had become sorrow as well and there's a mixing of it a melancholy so for me poetry and this speaks to the origin this speaks to the background of poetry i wrote this song as the soundtrack for the prodigal son coming home all you lovers and friends come in come in the table is spread have some bread leave nothing left Uh, If love wasn't broken, then why do you have to try? You know, I think about the story of the prodigal son. I feel like people can see themselves in that story. Everyone has a time where they have felt lonely, where they have felt like maybe I missed the mark here. Maybe I didn't make it do exactly what I wanted to do. And 
and it's a uh, a time uh, of coming home. This is this love is poetry. That even there are people in our lives that even when we mess up, you know, I think about a friend of mine. Um, I had said some things that I shouldn't have said, and and it was like it's okay, man. You're human. We're friends, you know. And I think about that redemption. I think about reconciliation. The beauty of poetry to me is just connecting with this idea that as humans, it seems like we try and try and try and we mean our best, but sometimes we uh, break things that didn't need to be broken. And it causes an impact that creates an emotional space for us that isn't ideal. Now, Jimmy, you've released a ton of singles over the past two years. So I guess the question is, will Jimmy Cravity ever run out of ideas and inspiration? No, I won't. I won't. I believe that the gifts that God gives us all, you know, he's given me a gift of songwriting because he's given me a gift of creativity. And the more we step into that, the more we have of it. Some people view creativity as a limited resource. I'm of the opposite paradigm. I view it as an unlimited resource. I view it as when you put your hands to the piano or to the guitar or when you put your mind to a lyric or a melody. Some people say, well, I'm waiting for the inspiration to hit. Some others work as I don't need inspiration anymore. I'm beyond that. If it comes, great. There's a spark that's already lit. You know, I love I love this show on Netflix called The Chef's Table. There's this chef there. His name is Francis Mullen. And he talks about living on the edge of uncertainty and how we have to be as humans dreamers. And one thing that he says in the documentary it always stays with me. He says, the fire is lit, keep it lit. And to me, I think of creativity as that way. I've been blessed, really, really blessed this past year. Matt Redman and I got together in Orange County. We wrote some songs together. Been blessed to be able to work with a lot of artists that are in the mainstream, you know, Realm, Jordan Sparks, Michelle Williams, Akon, Usher, Ludacris, all those people and, and more people to come. Now, I feel like one song spurs another. And it builds on itself until it just becomes an avalanche and there's just a catalog. And so that's where I am now. I have a catalog of songs. I probably have 40 or 50 songs that are ready to go that are in different areas. And so I'm excited over the next few years to release so much more music than I ever have in my entire career. Well, Jimmy, I want to thank you for this talk. It's been a real pleasure having you here. Oh, thank you, Dave. Dave, I want to thank you so much for having me on The Antidote. It's been a real pleasure for me just talking about music, talking about songs with you. And I'm honored, really, really honored that you would have me on. There's been so many musicians that have been on your segment and have went on to do a lot of great things. So thank you so much for thinking of me and my music. I'm humbled and honored to be a part.